The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. is mending and healing, there's rescuing, there's filling and there's pardon to be found at the cross. Oh, how the gospel will transform our lives. In Romans chapter 7, I'll take our scripture reading from Romans chapter 7, verses 1 down to verse 6. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Verse 4, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, the being dead wherein you were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. This is the reading of God's Word. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Romans chapter 7 together, as well as Galatians 3. We'll start in Galatians 3, so if you want to go there first, maybe drop a piece of paper into Romans 7. We'll be in Galatians 3 to start with. There's a common misunderstanding in our culture especially, and it is also a common misunderstanding in Christianity around the world. This idea, the misunderstanding, the idea is that rules make me righteous. Some people think that. They think that rules make me righteous. We love, by the way, we love rules. It doesn't matter if you're a good boy or a bad boy, you like rules. If you're a good boy, you like the list of rules because you're able to stand against it and see, see, I'm a good boy. I didn't do this one. I didn't do this one. I didn't do this one. And if you're a bad boy, you like to look at it and say, see, I did those. I did those. Even some people can be like a chameleon. With these people, I follow the rules. And with these people, I rebel against the rules. But at least the rules are there to tell me what kind of a person I am. And we love rules. And we think, for some reason, we think that rules make us righteous. But instead of rules, God is looking for a relationship. I want you to grasp that concept right from the beginning. God is seeking relationship, not rule-following. You can very easily follow rules and not have the relationship. And that is not what he wants. He wants relationship. So here are some of these words. I'll give you some descriptions of people that were sincere God followers. And I want, to, I want you to hear the relationship words in them. Remember King David? The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. 
That's a relationship. He's following after God's heart. That's a relationship. Here's another one. Abraham. The book of James chapter 2 and verse 23 describes Abraham like this. says, Abraham believed God. It was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. That's relationship. It wasn't Abraham did all the good things and God gave him an attaboy red check mark on his test. No. This was Abraham believed God brought him into relationship. Remember Jesus looking over Jerusalem? So Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. I want this relationship. Even for you and I, if you think of the way that it's described in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, it says that we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. That's relationship. And yet we still love rules. Relationship is not, by the way, relationship is not built on rules. Oh, there are common sense things in relationship, but it's not built on rules. Could you imagine? I've used this illustration a few weeks ago with my wife, but could you imagine if I had a list of rules on the wall at the house for Becky? Raise your hand if you want to talk to me. If you need to leave your seat, ask for permission. Like, can you just imagine? That's not a relationship. God's called us to relationship. And I hope that as we spend our time together in our passage today, that you will see that the rules, the law, will not make you right with God. It has a completely different purpose. I'll take a few minutes and unpack that before we get into it. And by the way, the law was never intended for us as Gentiles. It wasn't there for us as Gentiles. God gave a very specific law to a very specific people at a very specific time. It was for the Jewish people at that time. It was not given to us as Gentiles. And for us to go and place ourselves under that. Do you remember what Paul said to Peter? I withstood him to the face, put my finger in his face and said, Peter, you're trying to bring bondage onto the Gentiles that was never theirs to bear in the first place. You see, the law was not for us. It was for a specific people. Just think for just a moment. It was at about 1,500 B.C. that God gave the law at Mount Sinai. You remember that? They've been 400 years, nation of Israel, about 400 years. They've been in bondage as slaves in Egypt. God brings them out. Moses crossed the Red Sea. They've watched all this happen. They come to Mount Sinai. God gives them the law. It was a very specific thing for a very specific time. And God gave that law for them from the say about the year 1500 until the time of Christ. So you're looking at a period of time of 1,500 years, but keep in mind, about the last 600 years of it, they were off in exile and they weren't following it anyway. So around 1,000 to 1,500 years. Well, if you just do the math for the number of years that are accounted for in the Old Testament before the giving of the law, there's another 2,500 years that are there before the giving of the law. So you go back to Adam... Abraham, Job, Jacob, Joseph, those guys were right with God and did not have the law. They never had it. So I might ask, if the law is what makes us right with God, how did poor Job get right with God? He didn't even have the law. It wasn't there. The law had a purpose. I'll walk through a couple things and give you some help with this. Uh, Because I know that there's a lot of people that will kind of steer and pull you and try to bring you into bondage under the law. So let me just help you with where did the law come from and what was it all about. The law was, first off, the law was a very specific way of life under God as king. The law was to be a way of life 
under God as king. Do you remember remember the day when the people came to Samuel the prophet and said, we want a king just like the heathen have kings? And do you remember where Samuel's heart went with that? It's broken. Because we're supposed to have God as our king. This specific way of life, this is God going, I want my kingdom to look like this and my kingdom people will look like this. There was a specific ordinances that they were to follow. There was a, sp- a certain way that they should dress. There were certain things that they should eat. They would be set off as a different people with God as their king. Very simple administration. God's got Moses right there. If there's a question, you bring the question to Moses. Moses speaks with God. A simple administration. It was a very straightforward way for God to have, you might even say it like this, perhaps it was like the constitution for the nation of Israel. And it was a way of life for those people under God as their king. And then second, I want you to see this, the law was to be a standard from which the future judges could rule. So here you go, Moses dies, Joshua takes his place, Joshua dies, Othniel takes his place. Othniel and then all the judges. Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Abimelech, Tola, all those guys. And so where are they going to go for how do we rule? They go back to the law. I'll give an example. Think of perhaps one guy named Jedediah. We'll just pick a good Bible Old Testament name, right? So Jedediah has cows and one of his cows breaks out of the bonnies and goes over to Zebediah's cabbage garden and eats all of his cabbages. How do you handle that? If you're the judge, you need something, a standard from which to rule. You go back to the book of Exodus, and it's clearly outlined, how do you handle that? It's very clearly outlined. So the judges were given the law, that was a gift from God, to help them to be able to rule the people. So the law has been, guys, can I just say, the law has been distorted for a use that it was not supposed to be there. We come to the New Testament and we find this out. The law was meant to bring us to Christ. The law was meant, the ultimate purpose for the law, the law was meant to bring us to Christ. You might remember this from Galatians 3, verse 24. If you've got it there in your Bible, you can read along with me. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We might be justified by faith. I don't know if you remember our time together in Galatians. We talked about that schoolmaster. I'll just remind you, the schoolmaster, the other name for him was the pedagogue. The schoolmaster is not the teacher. Okay? Teacher's a different person. The schoolmaster, the pedagogue, is, another way to say it, he's the full-time babysitter. It is his job to be with the son. The father has given him the instruction to raise this boy, make sure this boy goes to school, gets all of his lessons, takes his tests, does well, and he graduates with honors. That's his responsibility. And so the schoolmaster wakes this boy up in the morning, When the boy wants to sleep, how many of you know what I'm talking about? The boy is supposed to go to school, but the boy decided he doesn't want to go to school today. He wants to sleep today. And the schoolmaster's job, given assigned by the dad, is get that boy out of bed. So 6 o'clock in the morning, little junior wants to sleep his little lovely head away, and the schoolmaster, get up out of bed. If the schoolmaster fails at his job, the boss will fire him. Get this young man out of bed, get him dressed, 
run through the shower, come on, let's get ready for school, eat your vegetables for breakfast, and then away we go to school together. We walk to school together, we get to school on time, and when the teacher is giving the lesson and it's boring as all get out and it's hot and everybody wants to fall asleep, the schoolmaster smacks him in the back of the head, wake up, Junior, pay attention to your lessons. Junior is taking notes, goes home that afternoon. He wants to go and play with his friend. The schoolmaster says, no, you don't play with your friends. You study your notes because tomorrow's going to be a test. And at 7 p.m. when Junior's friends are out there still playing and Junior wants us to keep on playing, the schoolmaster says, no, it's time for you to go to bed. There's nothing fun about the schoolmaster. The law is our schoolmaster is what the passage says. The law is our schoolmaster for the very reason to bring us to Christ. So how does the law do that? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not have any other gods before thee. And we look at that list and we say, I can't live up to that list. There's no way I can do that. I tried. I've tried. And I've tried. But I keep falling short. The law is a schoolmaster, smacks me in the head every time I mess up in a way that drives me to Jesus. Because with my sin, all I do is keep sinning and it keeps getting worse. But if I can find Jesus, my Redeemer, He takes my sin upon Himself and I get to have freedom. Oh, the schoolmaster had his purpose. The law had his purpose to bring us to Christ. And then he finishes verse 24 with this statement that we might be justified by faith. That we're justified. Declared righteous. God does that declaring. So that we can be declared righteous by God, by faith. So what do I do? Do I live up to the law? Never. Can't do it. So instead, what do I do? By faith, I trust Jesus. Jesus took my sin on the cross. I trust Jesus. And God goes, righteous. Declared righteous. Now follow on in verses 25 and 26 and see what else he has to say. After that, faith is come... We are no longer under a schoolmaster. Let me rephrase that. Faith in Jesus happens. I no longer need the law. So for those who would say, you need to be following the law, they are misunderstanding what the whole purpose of the law is. The law was meant to bring us to Jesus. And once you get to Jesus, you don't need the law anymore. You've... Here... Once you graduate from school, you don't need the babysitter to take you to school every day. We are now done with the law, he says. And then in verse 26, we are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That doesn't happen by me living up to this list of rules. I love that list of rules. I want to see how good I can get. He says, that's not how you get justified. No, I become the child of God by faith in Jesus. Jesus is the one that brings me into this relationship. You can see further down in verse number 4, chapter 4 and verse number 4, he continues this statement, this idea that we're brought into relationship. See it in verse 4. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So we're released out from underneath the power of the law, and we're brought into relationship, adopted as sons of, sons of God. And that happens through Jesus. You see, the law has a purpose. The law can never, can never make us right with God. It only condemns us. So I want us to have that in the back of our minds as we come into Romans chapter 7. 
We're going to walk through Romans 7, verses 1 to 6. This is, in the book of Romans, this is the first time that he talks about the law. We've seen the gospel very clearly, and I think it's worth noting, you do not have the law in the gospel. All the law does is show us that we are sinful. And now, for our salvation, that happens by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, as we come into chapter 7, he's going to bring in about the law. We'll see that in just a moment. Can I remind you, as we come into chapter 7, there's an overarching question that's been going on. That question started in chapter 6 and verse 1, and that question was, should we keep on sinning so that grace could abound? You remember his argument back in chapter 5, the argument was, when I sinned, God gave His grace. And where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That tells us how glorious our Heavenly Father is. So then the question, when we came into chapter 6, should we then just sin? And his answer was, absolutely, without a doubt, God forbid, you can't say no any stronger. No way at all. And he gives us three arguments. Today we're going to see the third one. Those three arguments are outlined in the verses with the words, know you not. Let me show it to you. Chapter 7 and verse 1, he opens with those words. Know you not. Brethren, do you see it? Know you not. Look back to chapter 6 and verse 3, and you'll see it there as well. Know you not. And then you can slide down to chapter 6 and verse 16. Know you not. So we have three times that he has said, know you not, or a different way we would say it in modern English, don't you know? So here's the question. Should we just keep sinning? And the answer is, absolutely not, because don't you know, 6 and verse 3, you are dead to sin. That's the first reason. Second reason, 6 and verse 16, don't you know that to whoever you yield yourself to be a servant, that's who you will be a servant to. You yield yourself to sin, you will be sin servant, and there will be fruit of it. And that fruit is shame, death. Or you can yield yourself a servant unto God. And the fruit of it, righteousness and everlasting life. Now today, chapter 7 and verse 1, he's going to give us our third argument, ways that we can overcome sin. And that is found here in chapter 7 and verse 1. Let me read it for you, and I'll, I hope that you can see it. Know you not, brethren, don't you know, parentheses, for I speak to them that know the law, and here's his argument, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Don't you know? The law only has power over living people. So, key thing that I want you to grasp this today. The law only has power over living people. That's a positive way to say it. There's a negative way to say it. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the negative way. The negative way is like this. The law is powerless over the dead. The law is powerless over the dead. That's his, that's his argument. So I'll illustrate this. How many of you remember William Capris? If you, if you remember, let me see your hand. All right. For those of you that don't remember, maybe you're too young, I'm all right behind by you, Savvy. Uh, I do want to caution, though, because he's, he's turned into more of recent years, he's turned into more of a Robin Hood folk hero. Let's be careful about going down that road, guys. Be careful about glamorizing sin. He definitely was, in his time, he definitely was a very sinful man, lived in open sin. Let's not glamorize that. 
Now let's think about for a moment, if you remember that time frame, the guy, he put together some of the most amazing bank heists. He was number one most wanted man in all of PNG. You guys remember this? And yet, there was one day in Doha, along the Heard Tunnel Highway, there was a police shootout in the evening. And what actually happened, you may not sabe, but at least we do know one thing one bullet killed William Capris. We remember that, right? Now, when we talk about being in a cell, that fellow, he knew how to get out of a cell. How many times he broke out of Bomana? Mastermind, yeah. But when he died, that night, when he died, I think it was a Friday night, when he died, you know what did not happen any longer? He's not going to court. Police are not going to go and hold him. Can you imagine? They just don't do this. They don't go and get his dead body, handcuffs, bring him back, back into Bomana. You were supposed to serve 25 years. <laughs> Put him back in a cell. No, they don't do that. Why? Because when he's dead, the law has no power over him. That's Paul's point right here. The law is powerless over the dead. has no more power if you're dead. When William Copris died... Law and justice lost their power over him. Instead, National Department of Health took over and he went to the morgue. You follow me? There's a reason they would call it a life sentence. Goes until you die. Once a person dies, the power of the law is broken. Now, that is very important for us to see as we look at this argument. He's going to give a similar argument. It'd be different law. He's going to give us a, a different uh, an illustration here in verses two and three. I'll read the, the illustration, but keep in mind this very same concept. The law is powerless over the dead; only has power over the living people. So let me read verses two and three. Here, here comes the argument that Paul brings. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. If So then, if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So we have this idea, the law only holds power over living people. Here's a law, we would call this the law of marriage. The law of marriage. And the example that's given here is when one man, one woman get married, they're to be married until they die. If she walks off and cheats on him with somebody else, she's called an adulteress. But if he dies, she's now free to remarry. She's perfectly allowed to remarry like Blongin. That's the law of marriage. Now, we're going to get to an application of that in just a moment, but I think that it's important, as your pastor, I'm going to take a moment, let me talk about marriage. The, verses 2 and 3 is not the point, the mar- marriage is not the point there, it's the illustration. But I think as your pastor, it's important for me to address this. The Bible is very clear. Marriage is to be one man and one woman for the rest of their lives. Let me repeat that. One man, one woman for the rest of their lives. Guys, 
if you want to know what it was supposed to look like, what your life was supposed to look like, go to the garden. Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve. God created them. Sinless. Perfect. He came and communed with them. If you want to know what perfect is supposed to look like, one man, one woman. I think it's so important for me to take a moment, and I know that for some of us this is a non-factor, but I also know that for some of us it's an issue, and so I'm going to address it. There is no place for polygamy in your relationship. There's no place for it. God has ordained one man and one woman. There is no place for a second wife, third wife. And I know that some people will say, but the Bible shows that there are people who have had it and God never condemned it. Some people would say, oh, David, David had multiple wives. I would ask you, do you really think it's a good idea to do all the things that David did? Oh my goodness, Psalm 51 exists for a reason. His broken heart over his sin. So there is no place... And when you look through the Scriptures, you see it over and over. Anyone, and I challenge you to look through it and study it, any and every one of them, where there is an example of someone who has a polygamous relationship, the home is a wreck. It is destroyed. David, oh my goodness, we'll start there with David, and his multiple wives, so many different wives, and those children, and the way they fought amongst themselves, and the way that his wives did not get along. Then you come to Solomon, his son, 300 wives, 700 concubines, and the Bible says that his wives turned his heart away from God. It's Abraham. Think of Abraham. Abraham... His wife Sarah, and he brings along Hagar and has a child with Hagar because he's going to try to shortcut the promises of God. Maybe he's going to help God out just a little bit. And I don't know if you remember what happened with Ishmael. Ishmael at 15 years old, Sarah says, get that boy out of my house. And I know that some of us would say, beat our chest and say, well, Abraham should have stood up, pulled his socks up, and told his wife to shut her mouth and sit in her own right place. I want you to think about this for a moment. How much yelling and screaming must have been going on in that tent that led him to the moment where he takes a backpack, puts snacks, biscuits, and a bottle of water in it, puts it on his 15-year-old son's back and says, Son, I love you. I don't know where you're going to go, but bye-bye. Off to the desert you go. And if you read that passage, he went off, and if it wasn't for a miracle by God alone, that boy would have died in the desert. Abraham knew it before he told him goodbye. That's not a beautiful home. That's hell. Guys, don't let anybody tell you, oh, God condones polygamy. No, God made it. Therefore shall one man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they shall be one flesh. What God has put together, let no man put asunder. So what God has put together, it's meant to be there. You should work on that relationship. If your relationship isn't right, work on it. Put love into it. Work on it. You need help? Come and see us. We would love. I'd be honored to walk through it with you guys. But don't let somebody else come along and pull you away. Let me step back on polygamy for just a moment. Girls, listen to me well. If some guy, and I don't care if he is 20 or 50, 
Some guy comes along and says, oh, I'd love for you to be my second, or you could just be my sweet girl, or you can be whatever, and he tries to bring you along, I promise you, if you're number two, there will be a number three. Promise you. There will be nothing but heartache that comes out of that. God made it one man, one woman for life. You say, well, how do I make this get better? Just put some work into it. Guys, bring her some flowers. Get some flowers and bring them home. You know what happens when you bring flowers home? She realizes that you thought about her when you weren't with her. That's paradigm shifting. You say, but I, I can't afford the flowers. That's okay. Cut the flowers in her yard. You say, she's going to be mad at me. No, she won't. Ladies, don't get mad at him, okay? It's your pastor speaking now. I did that with Becky once, and I thought she's going to be mad at me. I looked around. She had all these flowers growing in the yard. I said, I'm going to, pick, I'm going to, I'm going to cut the ones that she hasn't noticed. And I went around and cut those flowers. I put them in a little cup, put them in, the, in, the, uh, in her office on the, her desk. She came in. She saw them. She said, thank you so much for cutting these flowers. And in that moment, my heart, I was just like, oh no, I have sinned against God and against the heavens because I cut her own flowers. And she said, I said, I have to tell you, I'm sorry, they came from your yard. She said, I knew they came from my yard. I know those flowers. And she's the one that said to me, she said, but I knew that when you were cutting them, you were thinking about me. Husbands, your wife wants to know when you're away, she wants to know where your heart's at. And wives, can I give a a bit of advice here? Don't disrespect him, especially in front of his peers, his in-laws, his family, his friends. You go running your mouth and talking about how bad he is, you're just emasculating him. Don't do that to him. If there's a problem, don't bring it up in front of everybody else. Bring it up in the quiet, peaceful time at the house when it's just the two of you. You say, but those peaceful times are really hard to find. Well, keep on waiting. You'll get there. And when there's a peaceful time, don't start it off with, oh, there's a problem and we need to talk about it. No. There's a whole different heart that comes with, I really appreciate all these good things that you do for me. And there's a problem here, and I just want to share it with you because I don't think you realize what's going on. It's a totally different way to do it. You disrespect him in front of other people, he's going to feel that and it's going to come back. Oh, one man, one woman for life. That's the way God intended it to be. Don't make the rest of your life rubbish. Make it sweet. Make it beautiful. Work together. That's outside of the text. We'll come back to the text now, okay? We're in Romans chapter 7. We're going to be in verse number 4 in just a second. He's going to bring us an application of this, but let me just remind you where we're at. So there's this law. The law has been exemplified here. Husband and wife, if he dies, she's free to remarry. That's the, that's the example. The law is, uh, uh, the, the, the overarching idea is, the law has no power over someone who is dead. Now he's going to bring that into our lives now in verse 4. Here comes verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So this is a big picture. There's a lot of highlights in here, but I'll just touch a couple of them. First off, you have become dead to the law. You've become dead to the law. Do you remember last chapter? You're dead to sin. 
And now he says, you're also dead to the law. Well, how do we put those two together? I find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. This is the resurrection chapter. He says, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The law is what gives sin strength. You saw that, by the way. The law said, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And when you did break those, you saw how sinful you were. So the strength of sin is the law. So if I'm dead to sin, I'm also dead to the law. So we see here verse number 4, I'm dead to the law. Second thing I see, I'm dead to the law by the body of Christ. You might remember back to chapter 6 and verse 3, as many of us as are baptized into Him, we've put on Christ. We are dead to sin by being in Christ. How many times do I have to say this? Being in Christ is a big deal. So because I'm in Christ, I'm dead to sin, and I'm also dead to the law. I'm in Christ. I'm with Christ. You might remember this verse from Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, with this body... I'm still living this life. I'm living it by the faith of the Son of God. He's the one that loved me and He gave Himself for me. Now, I'm not going to stop at verse 20. I want to go to verse 21. Same passage, verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If it was my righteousness happens because I'm doing the law, following the rules, then Jesus wasted His time by going to the cross. And oh, we know Jesus did not waste His time. Oh, His death on the cross was sufficient for my, gra- for my sins to be washed away. There's no waste of time for Jesus. So then, I have no place for the law. I'm dead to it. Dead to the law by being in Christ. Then we see there's a reason for this now. The goal was not for you to just be dead and untouchable. No. There's a reason for us to be dead. You'll see it here. In verse 4 again. Look at verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that, here's the reason, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. All right, now you know why he gave verse 2 and verse 3 the picture of married. All right, so he says, says you're dead. In verse 2 and verse 3, he said, he said, if the husband dies, the wife is free to remarry. Now in verse 4, he says, you're dead to the law, now you're free to remarry. And who are you free to remarry to? He who was risen from the dead. That's verse 4. See it there? You can be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Well, who was raised from the dead? That's Jesus. Jesus is raised. So I'm in Christ, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to the law, and now I'm able to be risen with Him and married to Him. That's a picture, okay? It's a picture. We're not going down an aisle and getting married with a veil and all that. It's a picture. I'm now married to Christ, and there's a purpose for marriage. There's a purpose, and the purpose for marriage is to bear fruit. Every husband and wife knows this picture, bear fruit fruit. Here it comes. Look at verse 4 again. You can be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So now that I'm married to Jesus, that's the picture, now that I'm married to Jesus, I'm going to bring forth fruit in my life. There's going to be a different kind of fruit. It's going to be fruit unto God, and it's going to happen through Jesus. I'm going to have this 
awesome relationship with Him. I hope that when I say bringing forth fruit, I hope that rings bells in your mind for Galatians 5. 5.16, walk, not in this, walk after the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to have a whole bunch of different fruit that comes out. 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Grasp that statement. Against such there is no law. Grasp that statement. Here we go, here we go. The old way. Thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. That's the old way. I try to live up to it and I keep falling short. I can't get there. I'm sinful. I cannot live up to it. What am I going to do? Change the way I think. I now believe in Jesus. Jesus took all of my sin on the cross. I'm now in Christ and I'm dead to sin. Sin comes along and raises its ugly, ugly head that sometimes seems exceedingly pleasurable for a season. He raises his ugly head, and I don't say you're dead. No, I say I'm dead. I'm dead to you. You cannot control me. You don't rule over me. And now I'm going to be walking in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within me. I'm going to be walking in the Spirit. I'm going to be trusting the promises of God. I'm in a totally different place. There, I was trying to do it. Now, I'm living it. I'm just letting Him control me. I'm in Christ. He's in me. And guess what's flowing out of me? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is flowing out of me. We're not taking fruit and sticking it on the tree. We're growing fruit from within the tree. And it's coming out in our life. And my life is different. And now, guess what I'm doing? I'm fulfilling the law. I'm fulfilling the law. Over here, I was trying to do it and couldn't. Over here... I'm just loving Jesus and resting in Him and trusting Him. And guess what's coming out? Good things that are, there's no law against. Oh, this is a great thought for us. He keeps going in verse number 24, Galatians 5 and verse 24. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. Remember, you get to choose who you will serve. And who you serve, you'll be their servant. And there will be fruit of it. I hope that you are abiding in Jesus. This is Jesus' words in John 15 and verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. I hope that you're abiding in Jesus and bringing forth fruit to everlasting life. I hope that that's coming out in your life. So we'll see verses 5 and 6 now. Romans 7, verses 5 and 6, and he's going to compare the two types of fruit. Let's see them. Verse 5. It's a fruit from the flesh. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. I hope that you're seeing a couple of words there that we've seen over the last few weeks. The motions of sin are coming out in our members. These body parts. My body parts are doing sinful things, and that's because I've given myself over to a life of sin. But I have the ability to give myself over to a life following Christ. Here it is, verse 6. Those of us who are delivered, we are now delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held. We used to be held by the law. We're now dead to it. And the result now is that you should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. I'll explain that statement. The fruit now of me being dead to the law, the fruit is 
I will live in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Let me explain this. There's a difference. The letter of the law versus the Spirit of the law. The letter of the law says, Thou shalt not steal. That's the letter of the law. There's a whole spirit that's involved behind that. I would say that the spirit of thou shalt not steal probably falls into a category of something like keep your hands to yourself and don't take things that belong to other people to destroy your relationship with them. That's the spirit of the law. The letter of the law, though, is thou shalt not steal. And so let's just say, for example, you visit your friend's house and your friend is talking with you and your friend says, oh, sorry, I need to go use the loo. I'll be back in a moment. Your friend leaves you. You're there all by yourself in your friend's house. You look over at the table and you see something on the table that looks really nice and you think, I could use that at my house this afternoon. In fact, I don't have one of those. I need one of those really bad. And then you remember the law. Thou shalt not steal. So you look at it and you say, you know what? For me to just grab that would be wrong. But he's my friend. And if I asked him, he would probably say, 60-40 chance, he would probably say that I could borrow it. Well, since he, and this is all going on in your head real fast, right? Since he would probably let me borrow it, I'll just go ahead and borrow it anyway. You grab it and stick it in your bill. He hasn't quite come back yet. You're not stealing, right? You're not stealing. You're just borrowing. Maybe it'll be for a day or a week, a month, or forever. But you just borrowed it, right? You didn't break the letter of the law, but you smashed the spirit of the law. Remember what I said the spirit of the law was? The spirit of the law was keep your grubby paws to yourself and don't take stuff that doesn't belong to you because you're going to destroy your relationship with that other person, right? So here's... Paul's going to unpack this in one day in 100 years. We'll get to it in Romans chapter 12. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 12. Let him that steal, steal no more. But instead, let him work with his hands that he might be able to provide for himself and, and here's the Spirit, that he might be able to give unto others. So now that I'm no longer living under the law, I'm no longer controlled by the law, I'm no longer living under sin, instead of my mind immediately going here, instead, in that moment, when I see the thing on the table, I think to myself, man, that is a really useful tool. If at all I'm going to have the possibility to use it, I'm going to talk to my friend about this before I ever do anything with it. And most likely, I'm going to go to the house and I'm going to work with my own hands and I'm going to figure out a way to be able to make something and I know that other people's lives would be changed by something like that. Perhaps I'll be able to make enough money to be able to meet my own needs and be able to give some of these things to other people. Totally different place that the heart is. The one is, how can I sneak my way around letter of the law? The other one, how can I let the Holy Spirit bear fruit in my life and my life be completely different? I hope that you are living in the letter, not in the letter, but in the spirit of the law. So then how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we live as though we are dead to the law? I find the answer back in chapter 6, verses 11, 12, and 13. I'll read them quickly. Verse 11. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Start thinking of yourself that way. These are the commands that flow out in the middle of think different. So how do you do this? Well, start by thinking 
different. Think differently. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to the law. I'm not going to be controlled by it. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Stop giving up to sin. Fight it. Don't let it rule over you. Don't quit. Every time you intentionally sin, you're picking up your dead, rotting corpse and using it like a puppet. He says, stop that. Stop giving in. And then number, verse number 13. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead, and yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So I'm going to give this body over to God. I'm going to say, God, God, please, would you take this? This is relationship. I'm alive unto God through Jesus. I'm not going to let sin stop me because sin was the very thing that broke my relationship with God. See, I'm seeking relationship here. I'm going to yield myself, give Him my members. And here's, here's, here's the beauty of it. I'll close with this thought. As I give these members over to my Heavenly Father, I say to Him, God, would You take these as instruments of righteousness? Take me and use me as a hammer. If You want to use me as a hammer, or use me as a saw, or use me however You want to use me. And then He takes me, and you know what He does? He doesn't say, I'll use you as a hammer. He says, you're my son. That's relationship. You're brought it in, into that adopted, joint heir with Christ, Abba, Father relationship. Oh, yield yourself over to Him. Let Him use you. And the way He will use will be so much more glorious than you ever imagined. So, Father, I thank You for the promise that we are dead to sin. I pray that You would help us to grasp this. Allow it to change the way we think about sin. Allow us to submit to the reality that sin no longer controls me. I don't have to choose sin or reap its rewards. But instead, I can choose to be a servant of God who gives great gifts, draws us into relationship. And so, Father, I yield myself, and I pray that my brothers and sisters yield themselves and their members as instruments under righteousness. For it's in your beautiful name I ask these things. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 7009-1000. Again, it's 7009-1000.